Amen. Awesome. Welcome. If you are taking notes this morning, and I hope that you are, the title of my sermon this morning is Imitating Christ. Imitating Christ. And what a wonderful time to be in church. I love that exchange is not about a building, it's not about a venue, it's about the people. And it's such an honor and for Mark and I to be on this church planning, church building journey with you guys. You are arguably the most amazing people on the planet Earth. And you said? Amen. And you said? Amen. Hang on, I'm going to try that one more time, all right? And you all said? Amen. Yeah, you're incredible. You're amazing, which is cool. Um, I want to reiterate what Mark said and personally invite you to the Engage track after the service right across the hallway there in the literacy room. And we're going to be talking a little bit about who we are as a church, our governance, all that fun stuff, our finances, but also um, community groups. So we're actually relaunching our community groups. And so thank you so much. For those of you who have already signed up, I love people who are in early and like, yep, make a commitment, make a priority and go for it. If you haven't yet, today's your day. The bunch of our leaders are going to be at the end of the service. Um, you can talk to them. You can find out about their groups. But also in Engage Track, I'm going to explain a little bit about how we've changed things and why we've changed things. And so I would like to welcome you to be a part of that, which is pretty cool. Mark did an awesome job last week. He preached on truth and identity. And if you hadn't had a chance to hear that message, sometimes messages you've got to hear a few times before it kind of drops into your heart and drops into your spirit and drops into your soul. And I encourage you to do so. One of the scriptures that he preached on is found in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. And it's Paul, the Apostle Paul, who it's attributed for writing most of the New Testament. And Paul actually wrote two letters to the Corinthians, first letter and the second letter. And the Corinthians were actually the church in Corinth. And I believe it was his third missionary journey. He actually planted the church there in Corinth. So it's not a group of people that he doesn't know, or it's not a group of people that he saw for a few minutes. These are a group of people that he knows personally and intimately because he pioneered this church, he planted this church, he saw it grew, and he's currently in Ephesus where he's writing these letters back and forth to this church. And it's full of pastoral heart, it's truthful in nature, and it's um, definitely very truth-loving, and so it's a good two letters to read. But he says this, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. How many are glad Paul didn't stop after imitate me? A a few of us honest people are. We'd be like, oh, we're in a whole lot of trouble if it was like imitate me. No, that would be a sermon for another week. But he says, imitate me just as I imitate Christ, which is a very, very bold statement, even for the Apostle Paul to make. Exceptionally bold statement. And it's one of those verses in the Bible that often get taken out of context. And so in, not in this church, hopefully, but in some places, they've taken, leaders and pastors have taken this verse and used it as a way to manipulate people, used it as a way to control people. Or people have used this verse as a way to um, justify their doubt justify their disbelief in God because you saw a Christian behave in a manner that you did not think was how a Christian should behave and therefore you created um, a justification in your heart as to why you believe that Jesus is not real. And so today I want to hopefully bring some biblical understanding to this verse today. So quick question, have you ever imitated someone? Yes. Yes? We all have, right? Now no judgment here because I'm going to share an embarrassing Um, one that I did. But the truth is, some of us started things 
because we liked someone that perhaps we wouldn't otherwise started, but we saw them doing it and we thought, well, they're kind of cute, they're kind of nice, and if I kind of want to be in their world, then I'm going to start doing that too, and we imitate them because we want to be around them. So back in the day, there was a really cute guy. I mean, it was just exceptionally cute. Not quite as cute as Thor from Infinity Wars, but... <laughs> definitely up there. And there was a group of us girls, and he would play tennis and drank Diet Coke. This is a true story. We all started playing tennis and drinking Diet Coke, and to this day, I still play tennis and drink Diet Coke. But don't worry, Oscar, I don't feel guilty, because I didn't know Mark then. Mark probably wasn't even born then, so it's all good. If you don't get the joke, I'll explain later. We've all done silly things, right? We've all imitated, but we're meant to imitate Christ. Um, before I became a pastor, I've always wanted to help people. I've always wanted to work with people. I've always wanted to see people become what they were meant to become. And so before I found the best way to do that was in the local church, I actually did um, my undergrad study in um, social science with a major in welfare. And so I used to work I mean, majoring in youth work, and I used to work in a whole bunch of areas. And this particular job I had, I worked there for about a year. It was in a drug and alcohol psychiatric clinic. And so pretty much our patients were people who, because of drug use, had um, a drug-induced psychosis. And so they're not in a good state. They're not in a well state. And this has got nothing to do with my message, but the, I just remembered... My first day at this job, my boss asked me to sit in on the admission process. And so I'm sitting there. And because they're patients, they tend to come in and out. Most of the staff know them. And so I'm sitting there, and um, she's going through the admission process for this patient. And all of a sudden, she stops. And she looks at me. And she goes, don't you dare let them know who's inside of me. And I'm like... Um, okay, my boss is like, what did you do? Have you met? I'm like, nothing, first day in the job, I'm just sitting here. But she just started yelling at me, just frothing at the mouth, and eventually my boss said, you need to leave. Um, you'll never be part of the admission process again. But the interesting thing about this job, that's why I only lasted 12 months, um, <laughs> I met plenty of people who thought they were Jesus, who genuinely thought they were the son of God, that they were the Messiah. And if you met them and interacted with them, they would tell you their name is Jesus. In my 12 months there, I never met Muhammad, never met Buddha, only Jesus. And for me, that was a real um, strengthening in my faith that even in a drug-induced psychotic state, people wanted to be Jesus. Why? Because he's true. Why? Because he's real. Why? Because he died and rose again. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. There is only one Savior. There is only one Messiah. There was only one. There will ever only be one. And the goal for us is to be Christ-like, right? We're not here to pretend that we are Christ. We're not here to try and convince people that we are Christ. And as a church, we're never about making you follow us. We're about introducing you to Jesus. And I love that this church is all about pointing people to Jesus, not to us. Paul did not say imitate Paul. He said imitate 
Christ. We imitate the Jesus, not the humanity. And I pray that that would be a foundation. I pray that that would be either a continuing point for you or a starting point, that you find the Jesus, not the humanity. Because the truth is, faith shakers are going to come. Right, Things are going to come. They're going to challenge our faith. They're going to stir our faith. They're going to question our faith. They're going to test our faith. And that's not a bad thing. That is just a normal part of life because they're going to test what you and I have put our faith in. They're going to test what is the rock upon which you and I are standing upon. They're going to reveal whether your IQ and EQ are complementing or contradicting the truth. It's what it does, and it's okay I love people asking questions. I don't see it as a bad thing. I just see it as a process of you refining your faith. I see it as a process of you determining upon which rock have you um, built your faith. Mark and I were pastoring our last year in Sydney. It was 2008, and this is a public story, so I can share it. And there was a young guy. His name is Michael Glamucci, and he got diagnosed. Well, he told us he got diagnosed with bone cancer, an amazingly gifted songwriter, amazingly gifted preacher, and he came and preached at our summer camps. And so we had 110 community groups just for youth and young adults. We would see anywhere from 800 to 1,000 young people on a week on a weeknight, Friday night out of youth services, so a large group of people. And he came and he ministered at our junior high camp and then our high school camp and then our young adult camp. People were getting saved, people were getting transformed, people were falling in love with Jesus. And then fast forward a few months, turns out it was all a lie. He didn't have bone cancer. He'd made the whole thing up. He'd even written a song. For those of you old enough to remember, it says, You're my healer. And when we got to the U.S., U.S. is still singing the song. Australia obviously wasn't singing that song anymore. But I can tell you now that of all 110 community groups, of all the 1,000 young people who are in our youth ministry, not one walked away from Jesus because of Michael Glamucci's um, story. Why? Because when the faith shaker came, it was revealed that they had built their faith upon who Jesus was, not who Michael Glamucci was, not who the next young whoever it is right now. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. We don't put a period, a full stop after the imitate me. We're not looking at people to be our source. We're not looking at people to be our sense of hope and life. We are looking to Jesus. And if you'd like a reference point, the people I like to imitate, I'm looking for a few things in their life. If I admire someone or I respect someone, it's because I see these things in them, and this is just a reference point for me, is that they are knowing God and making Him known. If I see someone, some people in this church, you know God and you're making Him known, you know what? I look at that and I'm like, yes, that is awesome. When I see someone and they're building the church, the thing that Jesus is returning for, the only thing that he established on the planet earth, I'm like, yes, I want to be like that. And when I see people bringing heaven to earth, I go, yes, that is what I want to be like. That is my reference point. Outside of that, doesn't really matter. Outside of that, it is for another time and another day. But imitating Christ. So let's get to the point of my sermon. Sound like a good idea? What does it mean? I was just laying a foundation. I was just setting some... (laughs) Imitating Christ. What does it mean? It sounds fun. Sounds awesome. Sounds like something I want to do. Sounds like something I should do. But what exactly does it mean for me to pattern my life after Jesus? Who is he and what is it about him that I should imitate? 
the first recorded words of Jesus, not the first words that Jesus spoke, but the first recorded words that, Jesus, that we have of Jesus in the Bible is this. Do you not know I must be about my father's business? That's the first words that the Bible records of Jesus ever speaking. Do you not know I must be about my father's business? And we find the story in Luke chapter 3. And I, I love this story because I'm a parent and there are many miracles in the Bible. And I actually think this is kind of one of the biggest miracles. So here's Jesus' family. They're all gone to Jerusalem. It's the Passover feast and they do this every year. And they do what they got to do, and then they're heading home after a couple of days. And now it's a big convoy. So granted, you know, maybe there's grandparents and relatives and friends and a whole bunch of people who have all been on this trek together. But a day goes by. Everyone say a day. That's a very, very long time to all of a sudden realize that your 12-year-old son is not with you. For me, I'm sure it's like five minutes into the trip. Are we nearly there yet? When are we going to be there? How much longer? I need to go to the bathroom. I'm like, we're just, right? As a parent, you're getting asked those questions nonstop. So I find one of the greatest miracles of the New Testament is that Mary and Joseph did not know for 24 hours that Jesus was not present with them. So they're like, oops. They turn around. They go back. It's three days Three days, your 12-year-old son is absent from you and you do not know where they are. There's no cell phone, there's no Skype, there's no FaceTime, there's no internet. You can't Google to go, where is Jesus? I lost him. I lost the son of God. Oops. They go back to the temple and they find him. And he'd been just sitting there listening to the teachers, asking questions, answering questions. And everyone was astonished at his understanding and so Mary says to him, son, why have you done this to us? She goes, look, your father. <laughs> I, I would always blame Mark too, but we've been seeking after you anxiously. It was definitely the dad's fault that we lost Jesus. It was definitely dad's fault that he wasn't with us. Right, mums? No, okay. I'll take that one. And his response is, why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? From an early age, Jesus knew exactly what his purpose was. From a young age, he knew exactly what his mission was. His mission, his life's purpose was to do the will of his father. And even at 12 years of age, he knew that he must be about his father's business. First recorded words in the Bible. The last recorded words in the Bible before Jesus rose again, when he's, sitting on, he's lying on that cross, He's hung on that cross. What does he say? His final words before he rose again, he said, it is finished. It is finished. 12 years of age, first recorded words. Hey, I've got to be about my dad's business. Hey, I've got to do the will of my father. 21 years later, before he took up his last breath, before he gave up his spirit, he said, it is finished. And we find that in John 19.30 if you would like the scripture reference for that. What is finished? What is it that Jesus accomplished? How is it that he could say with such confidence before he died and rose again that it is finished? Well, what he finished was that our price for our sin was now paid for. The Hebrew word that they use for the word finished is actually paid for. You see, Jesus could hang on that cross. He could give up his spirit because he knew that he had now paid 
your price and my price for our sin. And that is why you and I can have freedom from sin. That is why the lost can now be found. That's how come the disciples he knew were equipped to start the early church. Once they had the Holy Spirit, he knew that they were ready to go. He knew that he had done everything that he was meant to do. He had been about his father's business. He had fulfilled the will of his father so that humanity now had a way to know God and make him known. Humanity had a way now to build his church. Humanity now had a way to bring heaven to earth. His entire life was purely about his father's business. And when he said, it is finished, you and I can't add to that and you and I can't take away from it. There is nothing that I can add to the perfection of Jesus. There is nothing I can add to my salvation. There is nothing I can add to the plan and the will of God. But equally so, there is nothing I can take away from it because it is finished. So if we're looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, there are just two things that I want to pull out this morning, that if we're going to imitate Jesus, which I pray that that's our dream and that's our desire. If we're going to look to him as the author and the perfecter of our faith, then let's imitate these two things. Number one, surrendered and available. When I think about Jesus, he was surrendered and he was available because imitating Christ, imitating Jesus, is being surrendered to God and being available to the plan and the purpose that he has for your life. And Jesus was 100% surrendered to God. He was always about his father's business. John 8, 28, Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. Isn't that amazing? For all of his 33 years, he said, you will know that I am he because I have done nothing but speak that which my father has taught me. He was surrendered and he was available. Matthew 26 verse, Matthew 26 verse 39 says this, he went a little further and bowed his face to the ground praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet not my will be done, but yours. Jesus is in the garden of the Gethsemane. And I believe it's Luke, he actually records that Jesus is sweating drips of blood because he's agonizing. It's not like he wanted to, he did it for you and I, but there was a moment where he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's like, Jesus, I mean, God, if there's any other way, if there'd be another way for this to happen, could could we do that? But at the end of the day, you know what? Not my will, but your will be done. He was 100% surrendered to and available to the will of God. What does it mean to be surrendered? It means that I trust. The truth is, if you're going to surrender to something or someone, you have to trust. You have to trust in the goodness of Jesus. You have to trust in His grace and His mercy that He's for you and that He is with you. And you can do that because that is the kind of God He is. But to make yourself available also means that you need to be obedient. If we're going to surrender 100% and if we are going to be fully available, then we need to trust and obey. You see, i got to trust that it's okay if I'm not in control. I have to trust. When I surrender to God, I trust that I don't have all matters under control, that I don't know the beginning from the end, and that's okay. That's how I surrender before Him. We surrender on a Sunday morning during worship. One of the most beautiful acts of worship is the act of surrender. That's why we lift up our hands. What's the universal act of surrender? Universal sign of surrender in the planet? Right? Doesn't matter what language you speak. 
if someone has a gun pointed to your head and you raise your hands, the understanding that you're surrendering. It's the same in worship. You and I worship God when we surrender to Him. We lift up holy hands and we say, God, not my will but yours be done. God, I don't know exactly everything, but I surrender. I surrender. I take the control of my life off. For, you know, I take it from me and I give it to you. I surrender. I surrender my pride. I surrender what I don't know. I surrender and I let you be God. It's a beautiful thing that you and I get to do. And so I want to encourage you, if you're not in the habit of yet of surrendering in worship, begin to surrender. Begin to lift up holy hands and see what he does. You can encounter him in such a powerful way. I know I've been talking a lot about surrender lately, but the truth is that an unsurrendered heart will always be a doorway, will always be an entry for the enemy into your heart. So live surrendered. If you want to imitate Jesus, live surrendered so that you are not robbed of the fullness of what Jesus has for you and what you were created for. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's not saying, do what I do. He's saying, let Christ do what he wants to do in you. And we do that through surrender. Amen? Amen. Imitating Jesus means I am available and I am surrendered. Have you ever met someone who might be surrendered but not available? Do you know what they look like in church life? I love Jesus. Jesus is amazing. I'm going to worship Jesus. Hey, do you reckon you could help? Nope. (laughs) Or some people are available, but they're not surrendered. You know, hey, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Oh, that, that whole thing is not for me. But hey, if you need my help, we need both. We need people who are surrendered and available. It got very quiet. <laughs> I'm surrendered and available. I just don't ask me to do chairs. <laughs> I will tell you, one of the things that I really don't like, it's my nemesis for setup. See, I'm not as strong as the rest of the guys, but I get here anyway. Those little magnets on the sidewalls, if you've never um, encountered them and you've still got all 10 fingers, um, just, just go and touch them. They are like, zoom, they're so strong, and that pinches my finger. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Sue, thank you. Uh, Jeff, we're, we've all lost a few fingers. But I'm available and surrendered for the pack-up team and the setup team. Number two, we're running out of time. I'm going to close with this. Imitating Jesus means I'm surrendered and I'm available. My question to you this morning is, are you surrendered or are you still in control? Are you available or is it still very much about your terms? Imitating Jesus means I'm free from sin and works. This is probably the most exciting thing you're going to hear all week. See, we are free from the consequences of sin because of what he did on the cross. And when he said, it is finished, it is paid for in full. You can't add to your salvation. You can't take away from your salvation at all. Because of the finished work of the cross, you and I get to live free from the power of sin and the consequences of works, which is exciting. Yes? It's exciting. Yes. Okay. I'll help you out here a little bit more. Romans 6. And I'm not going to read it because there's 14 verses. And Mark dies when he sees my scripture. 
But Romans 6, if you want to read this in your own time, I encourage you to do it. But really it talks about how the power of sin is broken. And we're just going to go through a couple of these verses. See, imitating Jesus means what? I am free from the consequences of sin. Meaning when I make a mistake and I do the wrong thing, I don't have to pay the penalty of death because Jesus already paid that. That is the best news on the planet. And you know, it says where sin abounds, the grace of God abounds all the more. So Romans 1 starts with, well, uh, should we keep on sinning then? <laughs> so that God can show us all the more of his wonderful grace? Verse 2, of course not. Why? Because we have died to sin. How can we continue to live in it? So if you've died to sin, you cannot continue to live in it. And the scriptures carry on and they're just incredible. We'll pick it up in verse 6 again. And it says, for well, we know our own sinful selves. We're what? Crucified with Christ, so that sin might lose its power over your life. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Imitating Jesus means you do not have to live as a slave to the sin in your life. Imitating Jesus means you are set free from that. When you were crucified with Christ, you are no longer a slave to sin any longer. There is no power. There is no hold. There is nothing that sin can have over you if you're imitating Jesus. Verse 12, do not let sin control the way you live. It's a decision that you and I get to make. God has done everything for you. Jesus died on that cross. And he is, if there's a thousand steps, he's taken 999. But this one you and I must do. We must not let sin control the way that we live. Verse 14, sin is no longer your master. Sin is no longer your master. See, you and I, when we come and we submit and we surrender, we make ourselves available and we crucify ourselves with Christ, we die to our sinful nature and we come alive again in Christ, then sin no longer has a hold on you. Sin no longer has a power. You know what that means? That those old habits have no right. Those old hang-ups have no right. They have no power. They have no authority in your life because Jesus paid that price. That has already been dealt with. That has already been done. You and I need to walk out our freedom. When we imitate Jesus, we understand that I can walk in freedom. I can live in freedom. That addiction no longer has a hold on me. That sense of pride in my heart no longer has a hold on me. That sense of unbelief and doubt no longer has a hold on me. Why? Because sin has no power. I can live in freedom. I can live in authority. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen this morning? You and I are free. Let's walk in our freedom. Let's live in our freedom. Let's take off the weight that so easily ensnares us and go, you are not from God, and I do not have to live under you anymore. I take that weight off. Why? Because of the cross. Why? Because Jesus was about his Father's business, and he fulfilled everything so you and I can live free, so you and I live in the fulfillment of what God has for us. Let's walk in that this morning. And as we walk in that, there are generations to come who will follow. There are generations to come who do not need to live bound, who do not need to live stuck because of the freedom and the release that you and I have. Do you hear me? Can you say amen this morning? Amen. It's good news this morning. Jesus wants to set you free. He wants you to live free. He wants you to live in the fullness of what he has for you. But it begins by surrendering your life to Jesus.